0: Hey, welcome to the episode. Um, We're doing things a little bit different this week. In fact, this episode is the second out of two that we were doing about biotechnology. This one, we're going to talk a little bit more about the moral and social implications that biotechnology in the future might have, whereas the previous episode, in my experience number three, is where we kind of talked about the chemistry and biology and the actual tools that biotechnology um, that are developing in biotechnology. Now, you don't actually need to listen to that episode to understand this one. The topics are somewhat different. And so if the details of the chemistry and the biology aren't really your thing, feel free to skip episode three and just roll straight into this episode four. I recommend listening to episode three. I think it will provide some interesting context to the conversation you're about to hear but you by no means need to to understand the conversation and you by no means need to listen in order if you want to listen to in my experience four you love it and then you want to go check out number three that works too now on with the episode
1: this type of work it's almost limitless it feels almost limitless in what we could do Imagine if there are bacteria that just grow anti-cancer drugs in a vase and it costs like 25 cents because you just throw some sugar and water and bacteria together and they pump out uh, chemotherapy drugs. We've mostly talked about industrial chemistry because I'm a chemical engineer and that's what I'm interested in. But the medical applications here are
0: incredible as well. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, I think part of the, the reason why I... There, you you end up, when you start talking about medical things, and I think we will get into this soon. You start having different conversations. Yes. Why design proteins to fix problems when you can just design people to not have them? Exactly. Which I mean, oh, what do we do? What do you do? What do you do with designer babies? Because you know, on a certain level, like it. You, I've had conversations about this with people, and you always get to start out with like. I know on the surface level this can sound really eugenics-y, but I promise that it's not. And that's never a good way to start a, a conversation with someone. No, no. But I think eugenics is about, you know, eugenics is about thinking there is some, like, superior race and, like, oh, selectively breeding for these superior traits. Um, and some people, some people might push that with, with genetic uh, mechanisms and techniques. But I think the much more if designer babies or or something like that was ever a thing, the much more, you know, rational, moral thing would be, oh, we can screen, you know, a fetus, and hopefully we end up with pretty safe ways to do that, and be like, oh, yeah, they're going to have a congenital heart defect when they're born. A- and, you know, right now, currently, we can figure those things out, and, you know, the parents are left with... A moral quandary of well what do we do do we carry it to term or do we word it and how Mm -hmm. like you know if this baby is going to survive a week you know and that's awful and i don't think anyone would ever wish that upon another human being no that's awful and so the hope is you know you could take a a zygote sequence its dna and be like oh this like they have this in for some cases there are there are horrible genetic diseases that are caused by one letter being wrong. One in the yep. the hundreds of thousands millions of letters in the in the in the human genome, there are diseases caused by one of them being wrong. One A, T, C, or G being something else. And that yep. and the thought is, well when it's a zygote, when it's only a few cells, well maybe instead of you know, just letting this happen, we go in there and we just change that one letter. They don't have the issue anymore.
1: Yes. So there is a professor in my research building who has made his name in the research field by doing genetic engineering of mice at, this, at the zygote level when they're two cells. Yeah. Uh, and he has developed techniques that take success rate from less than 1% to more than 80% in terms of gene editing of mice at the two-cell stage. I'll volunteer. I was a test tube baby. Um, I was uh, conceived through in vitro fertilization. At one point in my life, I was two cells on a Petri dish. If I had Down syndrome or spina bifida or a whole host of other diseases that are caused by genetics of some kind or another, when when I was conceived, when I was born, it wasn't possible to fix that. Currently, with uh, unethical and unapproved methods, you could absolutely fix that. In five or ten years, it may be ethical and medically approved to fix some of these really nasty congenital diseases, uh, like sickle cell anemia, for yeah. example, uh, at the zygote level. all babies Maybe all babies will be born through IVF and will screen their DNA first and fix all the problems that we find, because we can.
0: We... If we really poured our heart into it, we probably have the technology in five years, if not today, to do things like that, and that will be mm-hmm. a moral decision that our society will have to make. And I, firmly believe, like as a geneticist and as someone who really, like you know, has hope for these technologies, I believe that there is a line to be drawn somewhere, in that, like I think, a society where you can just, where you pick all the traits, the, the especially like the physical attributes of your child. I don't think that is a good society, and so I think that there's a line that should be drawn. But I think just because there's a line to be drawn somewhere doesn't mean we should draw the line at the very start. Yes, and and
1: beyond just physical traits, I mean, we could select for children that have high intelligence, that are very kind.
0: Yeah, and I've had this exact conversation with people, and that's where, that's where they start to be like, this sounds like eugenics. Because the yes. thing is, intelligence, while it is partially determined by the environment, right? There is a certain range that your intelligence is determined by your genetics. Like, your max level of intelligence is genetically determined. And so, yes. why not just... I mean, I don't really... I haven't formed a complete opinion about this, but, like, wouldn't society... Wouldn't, just posing a question, wouldn't society be better if everyone was... Had the same starting point for how intelligent they could become.
1: Well, you know the counter to that uh, argument, of course, is you say, wouldn't it be better if everyone had the same starting point? There's going to be inequalities. Rich people can afford to make their children really smart, and poor people cannot. That's why. That's... And maybe equality isn't a goal that we should we should strive for. Um, maybe the diversity in our society is a good thing.
0: Well, yeah, and. With intelligence, I, especially, you know, we we do not have a good enough genetic understanding of intelligence. Like, we know there are genetic factors. We don't know what genes, we don't know how they work. We like, that's way beyond us. And so we just don't have, a like, to have a good conversation about this, we'd have to know what the effects of the actual genes are. Because if it's just like, you change this one gene and it's just easier for people to learn, like, I feel like most people would be on board with that. It's like, oh, yeah, you just change this one gene and it's, you just learn stuff better. Great, you know? um but i think where it can get really tricky is with um neurocognitive diseases um or you know neurodiversity in terms of yes. okay well what is a disease and what is just a different way of dealing with the world you know autism spectrum disorders you know is that yes big one is that a disease that we should correct for or is it just diversity mm-hmm. i don't have an answer to that question
1: i mean As an example, uh, OCD and Tourette's in some ways could be construed as neurodiversity. It's a different way of thinking. I think that you would get a greater number of people saying those are bad and people don't want to have Tourette's. But you absolutely will find people saying, no, I like having autism. I like being autistic because it makes me think differently. It doesn't make me think worse.
0: Well, and then there's also the instance of there are many people... You know not all but there are people who are blind who 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 don't view it as something you know of course there are like no. elements that you know things might be easier if they were sighted, but who don't view it as some awful disease they just view it as a different they're just different and that's okay
1: yes well here's the analogy i've heard imagine if you woke up tomorrow and everybody else around you could suddenly fly but you still couldn't fly right Nothing about you has changed. You're not disabled because you can't fly. It just happens that everybody else can fly and you still cannot fly. The problem is when we build buildings without stairs, Mm. when we expect you to be able to get into hover cars because you just fly up there, now you live in a society that's made you disabled. It's not that you are unable to do what everyone else is. It's that you live in a society
0: that doesn't allow for you to function the way that you do. But I think... I think there's an interesting question there, and, like, I want to be very sensitive about this stuff. Yes. Obviously. But there's an interesting question is what level of uh, of those type of mentalities are a coping mechanism? A, a very, very right. healthy coping mechanism, and I mm-hmm. believe it extraordinarily, like, adaptive and good way to look at the world. Yes. Well, for example, for example,
1: colorblindness is clearly... Uh, an example where we can easily structure society so that color blindness is not a barrier, yeah. and that people with color blindness are not disabled; they don't lose out on anything. Spina bifida is a really awful disease, and it's hard to construe that in a way that you just have diversity, and that you have that society should society should obviously try to make your life easier. You know, wheelchair ramps are going to be important, yeah. but having spina bifida isn't equivalent to not having spina bifida. It's a it's a
0: disease. Yeah. It's bad. Well, and even I think, you know, having conversations with people about this, um, and I think an interesting question to pose is like, you know, say talking about like autism spectrum disorders, right? Be like, hey, and you know, are these just, is this just neurodiversity or is this something that if we could correct it, we should? And, you know, for people who respond to that, like, oh, it is just neurodiversity. It is just a different way of, of looking at the world. I, I, I think one pushback that I have with that is I, I often ask these people, okay, but would you would you be willing like would you want your kid to have X? Well, because ultimately that's the question that
1: is going to be asked. It's not should people have this?
0: Yeah, and very almost never, almost never having this conversation have I had someone say yes. They, they would say, like, right. oh, God, I really hope, like, I hope my my kid would never have to deal with that. But I'm glad. I, they're like, I'm glad we have these members in our society so we have a more diverse society. I just would never want it to be my kid. And I'm like, well. Yes. Well. <laughs> well. That's yikes. A, yeah. Mm-hmm. And
1: and that's the the decisions we're going to be making are not do we want to allow this in society. I fear the decisions that are going to be made are do you want your child to have Down syndrome? There are parts of the world where it's already the expectation that if you detect Down syndrome in your fetus, you abort the pregnancy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and to my, you know, from my perspective, and I feel pretty confident saying not just my perspective, that's awful. I think that's horrible. Yeah. People with Down syndrome are an incredible blessing to the families that they come into. They're some of the kindest, gentlest, sweetest people ever. Uh, and their disability comes from our expectations of what people should be and not from who they are. Um, and so, aborting fetuses that have Down syndrome, I think, is awful. Yeah, but um,
0: I will put I also phrase. I I agree with you that, um, like aborting, a, a based off a non, you know, I I get it when it's like this this baby will live for one week and it will be a week of intense pain. You know, if you're going to abort yes. because of a lethal mutation, I completely understand that decision. Um, mm-hmm. But because of a non-lethal, you know, allele. But uh, when you back it up a step, and it's it's less of like aborting a fetus, and say you're using IVF, when it's just like we have these we have these two embryos, which one do we pick? I mean, I suppose then you have to back up and decide what at what point is someone a at what point are ourselves people.
1: Yes, and and to what extent should should parents have control over their children's own genetics, right?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, what, what kind of ethical problems are you going to raise when Kim Kardashian decides that she wants to have babies with really large hips and the children grow up and sue Kim Kardashian because they don't want to have massive hips?
0: Yeah, or someone decide, or someone
1: decides that they want their kid to glow in the dark. Yeah, right? There are all
0: sorts of thorny issues that this power opens up. Well, and who gets to set, like, who gets to set the, the range of acceptability, yes. you know? Who, who gets to say, this is the acceptable range that your child can be in if you fall from this genetic deviation, that is unacceptable, you know? Um, right. Which is a bit of a dystopian situation, but also one that I, like, I think we'll have to have. We will have, there will have to be some... Because it's a
1: dystopia if you don't have that regulation. Yeah.
0: There will have to be some regulatory body that says, hey, this is okay and this is not. Um... And I it's it's very hard because you know when before someone is born they they can't have there's no you know you have to you are working with protecting the rights of a party that is not present at the time of making these decisions, um, and cannot be yeah, present. Yeah, you know, like cannot. And I mean, to do use a personal example for myself, I have ADHD. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, if you want to go like for like, the neurodiversity arc, like I suppose I would fall into that, right? But that like if if that if if that way of conceptualizing mental illness or neurodiversity works for some people i applaud that very much it does not work for me if other people conceptualize that way that is great i fully support that doesn't work for me i i view my adhd as a mental health condition a chronic mental health condition that i have to work to treat that is how my brain best conceptualizes the situation um, and, like, the times where I've talked to someone and they have been like, oh, no, it's not a disease. It's a gift from God. You just think differently. I'm like, shut the f*** up. Like, <laughs> no, it's not. It's it's not. It makes my life harder, okay? Um, yeah. And there are positive attributes that I suppose I would associate with ADHD, right? But all of those positive attributes I see in people who don't have ADHD. So, you know, there's a certain level of like, oh, spontaneity and being able to kind of think on my feet and sometimes being able to like hyper focus in on a project that like are nice and are probably somewhat influenced by me having ADHD, but are not dependent on it. They are they are silver linings to a bad thing. They are not the 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 main thing. So if I could choose to just not have ADHD, like presuming it didn't drastically alter my personality yeah i would do it yes and and it's hard
1: you have been able to make that decision for yourself it would be a lot more awkward if your parents had to make that decision for you two years before you were even able to speak
0: well and because there are people with adhd who the idea of it is a neurodiversity and a different way of thinking that works really well for them and that's and, and in my mind that's You know in reality for me adhd is a mental illness that i have to treat and for some people it is a neurodiversity that they have found a way to live with and and to celebrate and to celebrate and i think both are true just the way Mm -hmm. the way my brain works understanding it as a disease is more adaptive and for other people understanding it as diversity is more adaptive i don't think it has to be an either or
1: yes but, of course, the difficulty is you can't ask two cells what they think about it. No, you cannot. Um, and so having these types of conversations is so important. As a society, we don't ask whether the iPhone, whether Facebook, was good for our society before we started using it. No, we did not. We we started using Facebook and only later discovered, oh, this is really messing up our political system. And our mental health. And our societal interactions, you know. Yeah. Um. We didn't ask those kinds of questions before we started using Facebook, and Facebook affects our
0: life, but I don't think it fundamentally changes who we are. Inherently, Facebook is about social interaction. It's a social network. Um, yes. And it's you know it's not and also it is something that can be changed. But you know we have you know and and if we were at the point of like designing children, we would have much more advanced genetic tools. But it is much easier, like, once you have a fully grown human, there are two, you can't just go and change, the the, the DNA is in every single cell, you can't just go and no. change it. So you kind of have to make those large, you Absolutely. know, you can do targeted gene therapy, but like the idea of like a designer baby, that you always say designer baby, because you don't do designer adults, you, you got to start when they're small.
1: Right. And so it's so important for society to start asking these questions and making these rules, before we need the answers in some sense uh the united states had functional personal drones yeah yeah, yeah. little drones that fly around with cameras you could go to walmart and buy one of those for five years before there were any rules from the federal aviation administration about what how you could operate them and that was disastrous
0: yeah if you could fly them on private property if you could fly them near airplanes if you you know and how high you could go and if you had to know how to fly it
1: and and that was that was a disaster it wasn't a disastrous few years but there were a number of problems of people flying their drone into los angeles airport airspace that you know would have been avoidable if the if the legal and societal discussions around that type of technology had appeared before the technology had yeah we were regulating we were playing catch up with our regulations and for something as important as the implications that biotechnology is going to have, we can't
0: afford to do that. Well, especially because uh, something that I think we don't often touch on enough is y- there's a difference between somatic cells, which are like body cells, like your skin cells. All, most of your body is somatic cells, body cells. But then you also have your germline cells, your sex cells, mm-hmm. um, sperm and egg. When you, you... Like our modern gene therapy, like the limited gene therapy that we do on adults is all about body cells and that only changes the genetics of an individual but as soon as you like a designer baby or even you don't even have to do a designer baby but just like any modification that impacts the sex cells or all of the cell all of the cells of the organism I, there's not there's not many situations where we'd specifically just uh, focus on the sex cells but Anything that affects the entire Mm -hmm. makeup of an organism will affect its sex cells. And that means not only are you affecting changes for that individual organism, you are affecting changes for all of its offspring and their offspring and their offspring. So say like the Kardashians wanted to modify their children to have large hips, right? They would be choosing that trait unless it was further than modified for all natural conceived generations. And, you know, some of that could be mitigated by just, like, going back and changing it again. Um, but that's going to really... It's going yeah, to really screw up any sort of concept of of inheritance. And if you make a, a mess up and don't catch it, well, it could be passed on. It's a problem.
1: And I think it's important to remember that this is going to come a lot faster than people think it is. I... There... I started realizing the power of biotechnology last year, after watching a uh, a video journal series about a man who
0: cured his own lactose intolerance. Yeah, the whole concept of DIY bio, like you could start seeing, you know, just yes. people doing shit just in their garage. Mm-hmm. And that's that's you dangerous. Know, and don't don't get us started on bioterrorism because that's horrifying. But yes, I mean, this was a guy who was a you
1: know a novice biochemist he's not working in a big research university he's not working for a company he's got a a bio lab in his garage because he thinks it's cool and he was violently lactose intolerant and he read a paper where in lab rats mind you they cured lactose intolerance by using a virus to infect the uh, digestive tract and make it produce the lactase enzyme curing lactose intolerance this was a recent one-off paper where they did it in Lab Rats, and this guy decided he was going to do it to himself. Which is
0: crazy, by the way. Do not try at home. Holy cow. Terrifying. No. Really, like, even if it works one time, no, do not try.
1: Wildly unsafe and unethical. Um, and he, he created a virus and took a few virus pills and they infected his digestive tract and he is no longer lactose intolerant. Um, And it cost him a few thousand dollars to do it himself in his garage uh, and it has lasted him at least five years. And so this isn't something that's going to happen in 20 years that we've got lots of time to prepare for. This is something that is happening uh, and it's not happening on a big enough scale to be a problem, but it's going to happen soon and we need to have these conversations.
0: Yeah, of of what we want to decide a society of what is going to be considered acceptable. And I think towing the line between there's a lot there is a lot of good to be done here. Absolutely. But there is eschatological danger.
1: Yes. I mean consider we're living in a pandemic and this is a pandemic that happened naturally. Imagine if somebody has these biotechnology tools at their disposal, disposal as you uh, alluded to earlier, they could engineer the perfect virus to wipe out humanity, or if someone was just negligent. I mean, they if they weren't if they
0: didn't know what they were doing, they could have accidentally released a super deadly virus. Instead of curing lactose intolerance, your patient zero in a new viral pandemic that tar- targets the stomach lining, because you specifically designed this this virus to be effective at at infecting the stomach lining for long periods of time, but you just screwed it up and actually it slowly kills you.
1: This is it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. The this is really powerful stuff we're dealing with and I think these discussions about the ethics and the regulations and the possibilities and the safeguards are not keeping up with the powers and the technology
0: that we have. There are people having these conversations, but there's a level that it needs to go mainstream and it also needs to happen in in government. Like we Mm-hmm. Uh, i mean especially i think in the united states I, I can't speak as well for for other places but i know that that some other nations have thought put a little bit more thought into kind of biotechnology than the united states have we are really bad at preemptively thinking about technology as we talked about like with drones or with, with social media mm-hmm. but of, of preemptively thinking about how technology is going to impact us and and regulating it or or or, or, or making decisions on it absolutely
1: And so I think this podcast episode that we've just recorded uh, is a great way to hopefully start that conversation for our listeners. If you're listening to this podcast, you should probably be thinking about these questions, and you should probably be talking to the people around you about these questions, because in the next 5, 10, 15 years, it's going to be a huge part of your life, and we need to work out these answers sooner and not later.
0: Yeah, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, it's a question of who, and it's a question of to what extent. Getting scared of the possibilities
1: and and trying to not think about it isn't going to make this technological advancement not happen. We're
0: not the Amish. We're going to advance our technology. Because it will be profitable, and it would start with the best scientific advancements we've ever seen. We hope that this
1: podcast episode uh, has been useful for fostering uh, your understanding of these issues and for fostering discussion about what do we want our society to look like? Because ultimately our society will look like what we make it to look like, whether we do that on accident or on purpose.
0: Yeah. And I think this is definitely a topic uh, or we could revisit or at least talk about tangential topics in the future. Thank you guys for listening. If, you, if you've made it all the way to the end, I commend you. We've you know, been having more listeners. Uh, from multiple different countries, which is fascinating. We also had our first female listener. So shout out to you, female listener <laughs> on Spotify. That's pretty nice.
1: Only Spotify tells us the, uh, the ethnographic data.
0: Yeah, so we may have had more female listeners, but we got our first one from Spotify. Um, and if you listened to our first episode, our second episode, and now all the way to the end of our third episode, um, props but you will have noticed a dramatic increase in audio quality from the first episode to the second episode. We changed our setup and it helped tremendously. Yes.
1: This is, this has been a learning process for us as well. We're very uh, excited about the podcast. I am shocked. I that know people are listening to it. I mean, I it's know. just the two of us blathering, <laughs> um, but we're very grateful for all of our listeners uh, from all over the place. Thank you for tuning in to listening to in my experience uh, with James and Noah. Um, And we hope to see you again in two Tuesdays. All right. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Just a quick reminder that this is the second in a series that we were doing. Uh, So if you did not listen to In My Experience number three, but you liked the conversation you just heard, make sure to go check out the previous episode in which we talk about the chemistry and biology and the tools that are actually emerging in biotechnology. Either way, I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that if you like our podcast, you will consider looking for our podcast in the future. In general, we post every other Tuesday. I hope that you have a great rest of your week. Bye.